0: Jordan and Gretzky, Serena and Ruth Remembering great ones is easy to do But what about the two days who spent their whole lives Longstaffing footballs and kids who sacrifice their guys Remember Remember that guy Remember that guy Remember that guy Remember that guy just gonna remember some guys now
1: second down and 20 503 to go someone has run onto the field some guy with a brawl and now he's not being chased he's running down the middle the 40 arms in the air in a victory salute he's pulling down his pants pull up your pants my man pull up those pants he's being chased to the 30 he breaks a tackle from the security guard at the 20 down the middle the 10 the 5 he slides at the one and they converge on him at the goal line Pull up your pants, take off the bra, and remember that guy. The show where we mind our memories for nuggets of nostalgia about peripheral players past and present. Hey there, folks. It's me, James, one of your hosts, and I may or may not be wearing a bra right now.
2: Diaz back once again. Can confirm I'm not wearing a bra, but our special guest might have some things to say about bras. We're very thankful he was a key part of that goal line stand to take down that runner. Please introduce yourself.
3: I'm just going to give myself to Kevin Harlan and just, I, I was a part of it by calling it from the booth because I don't know who actually
1: did the tackling.
3: Yeah, it's me. The very first guest, here.
1: You're just one of many hardworking security guards that was there. And yeah.
2: It was a team effort.
1: We are going to kick off this time, as we always do, with what's making memories for us right now. And I'm going to switch things up. I'm going to start this time because I'll, I'll let y'all know that right now as we record this, the Orioles, just lost two games to the Cardinals. Everything is falling apart. I no longer want to think about October baseball. I want to think instead about November baseball. Because just this week, it has been announced that La Liga de Baseball Profesional de la República Dominicana, or LIDOM, or Lidon, to those of you who do not speak El Español. It is the Dominican Winter League coming to the shores of America this coming November. This was just announced that the Mets at City Field, since you know they're not going to have playoff baseball to worry about anytime soon they are going to be opening their doors instead to some more successful teams and this is just super exciting i just like really wanted to take a moment to celebrate this i wanted to talk about the two teams that are coming in for a moment we've got the first one this is the one that i'm kind of almost surprised las aguilas uh the aguilas de cibao they are the team that current met sterling marte has spent two previous seasons with but what's Interesting about them is they play in Estadio uh, Cibao. It is the biggest one in La It so it's about 18,000 people or so, and it's known as the Valley of Death. And it claims to be like one of the greatest home field advantages in all of sports. Its Wikipedia page describes it as uh <laughs> it's described as the loudest and happiest stadium in the Caribbean. I'm not entirely sure how you measure the second one, but admittedly, you can probably measure happiness in championships, and the Aguilas did. In 2021, tie the league record for most championships all time with 22 of them. However, the very next year in 2022, the other team that will be facing them this coming November, Tigres del Lice, took it right back with their 23rd championship. These two teams, in approximately the 73 years that this league has existed, have won a combined 45 of the championships. No, there aren't a lot of teams, but still, that is absurd. What is particularly exciting about the Tigres del Lice is that last year they had the league MVP as well. That league MVP is Mets rookie sensation, Ronnie Mauricio, who just got called up, I believe, two weeks or so ago and is providing them with some very nice moral victories down here the stretch in absence of normal victories. But, you know, is he now going to play another year for Los Tigres del Lice? Is he going to show up and show out in the only place in the world more Dominican than the Dominican Republic, which is, of course, New York City? It just sounds like it's going to be a fucking awesome atmosphere. And I don't know, guys. We might have another New York sports trip on our plate. Those Dominican teams
3: sound like essentially the baseball version of the Scottish Premier League it's been around for 125 years and Rangers have won 55 titles and Celtic have won 53 and no one else has more than four and half the teams that have won that aren't them have gone out of business so it's just hey these two teams and everyone else are just there to lose to them and also are you kidding me two Dominican teams playing in Queens the, yeah. the, the tailgates might burn yeah, down yeah dude so like, I don't,
1: we really might have to go. I don't know, Diaz. We can call it a joint birthday thing for the two of us.
2: Hey, let's split the difference. Let's get up there, get some mofongo, get some pasteles, some tostones. The problem and we'll just is, have a good old time.
3: We probably can't wear any Puerto Rican identifying clothing.
1: We can just ah, all go I'm very just... USA. Oh, we just all go the Rob Lowe route. That's what we do. We're, we're pro baseball. <laughs> um, speaking of foreign pro baseball, I would also be remiss if I did not take a moment to tip our cap to the Central League champions for the first time in 18 years. Diaz, your Hanshin Tigers, early this morning did clinch their first Central League in a long time. Looking forward to their likely spot in the climax series. Let's have them bring it home. No KFCs were harmed in the making of this league championship. And Diaz, while we're on championships, I would also be remiss if I did not take just one moment to acknowledge that between the two of us, I did in the Fantasy WNBA League this year win our third-place championship. A well-played match, my friend, but I do claim that one this time.
2: Look, it's it's tough to have known that I played you in the third-place championship and lost. It's a fact that I need to live with. And maybe one day I'll come to terms with it. Because we do know that the third-place championship is the most hallowed of all championships. But... When I think of that, I then instead think of my Hanshin Tigers, who I absolutely knew just won the Central League. I've been waiting for it ever since I started becoming a fan of them. And you know what? I'm gonna. This is actually gonna tie in now. I'm gonna be a Tigres guy for our Dominican game. I'm just gonna stick with the the brand loyalty, the the nickname loyalty for all of my non-American baseball teams.
1: I just I now I want to see this like really big chubby. Red face, sunburnt, bayou equivalent of a Dominican guy saying, Vamos Tigres in a like Hispanic Ed Orsheran voice. (laughs) (laughs) Vamos Tigres.
3: I mean, that's already a thing in Mexico because Tigres is the one like the biggest club in Mexican soccer right now. And their biggest, like the the biggest rivalry game in Mexican soccer right now is Tigres versus Rayados of Monterrey. Both are Monterrey teams and Tigres and Rayados have the most money by far and just brutalize everybody else.
2: And in the first soccer game I ever got, which was FIFA 2005, I did pick Tigres as my franchise to play with.
1: Almost Everything
2: days. coming up Tigres.
1: Everything's coming up Tigres. But what else is coming up Diaz right now?
2: What is coming up Diaz? Football's back. Let's just talk about football generally right here. And let's talk about what we can do to make sure that football is the most fun for everybody possible. Because what I really like about football is when the really good players are healthy and get to play games. I really love when the good players get to play. And it makes me really sad when the good players can't play because there's one specific playing surface, which has been demonstrated across all sports because this is a very well-known thing with women's soccer that the incidence of ACL injuries is much higher because of the field turf surface. And when we're talking about the NFL, we're talking about a multi-billion dollar organization. Now, I don't know how much a football field's worth the grass goes for, but I'm going to guess that it's a lot less than a billion. I think it might be like maybe a million. And if it's maybe a million... And you can make sure that the people that you're paying $50 million, like, say, Aaron Rodgers, sorry, Xavier, you can make sure that this guy gets to play football, which is what we all go there to see. It's what we love to see. And it just seems like a very simple investment, doesn't it? Like, it's such an easy win for the NFL. And it is mind-blowing that Roger Goodell right now is still going around like, oh,
3: oh.
2: just commit, Roger.
3: The grass is okay. The grass is greener on this side. It's simple why they do it. It's the cities that still use turf. They do so because they host large events outside of football games. And that's the only reason. Because grass is cheaper than turf if you're installing grass once or a couple times. The problem is, especially with the Meadowlands, they had three nights of a concert then the Giants game, and then the Jets game. And if they were to have grass, they would have had to replace it every single day. So the problem is more of owners wanting to use these stadiums more often than once a week or, or eight or nine times a year. And a lot of the cities that have grass fields, you'll see that those stadiums are not, like, main concert venues for those reasons. It's not a good reason. It's a greed reason. But it is the reason why... And I, I know that MetLife had actually just this year changed to a new type of turf, which players had said is better than the ones they had last year. Like, last year, it was universally panned as, like, this is the worst turf in all of sports. Like, it will kill knees. And, like, apparently the players despite them saying, yeah, obviously we prefer grass, they didn't seem to have much of an issue with the MetLife turf. And I know Robert Sala was saying that, hey, if it was a non-contact injury for Rodgers, I kind of would be all over that. But it was one of those things where he got planted by a very large human being wrapped and landing on his ankle. But I do agree that, like, there's no good reason why all the fields shouldn't be grass, but I do understand why the Jets field
1: isn't grass. If I'm getting this right, you're saying it's Taylor Swift's fault.
2: Let it be said, Lincoln Financial Field, grass surface, baby.
3: Do they have a lot of concerts at the Link?
2: I honestly... Some big, like, if it's like a big, like, Springsteen will play there, Beyonce will play there, like, Taylor Swift will play there. And those might be the only acts. Um, Okay. But Eagles have always been ahead of the curve. I remember I went to a game. It was the second Eagles game I ever went to. It was, like, 2009. And, like, they were the first team to announce a Go Green initiative, and they put up, like, wind turbines all around the stadium so that it would be, like, energy energy neutral. Is that what it's called? Yep. Yeah. And I will always remember, I was only, like, 16, 17 at the time, so, like, I'm, you know, I'm stone cold sober. But there's these two guys that are, like, about five rows in front of me that are just absolutely shit-faced, and they could not be more enthusiastic about the going Green initiative.
1: Like, oh, yeah. they're, like, fl- You just have to rooted in that Philly exceptionalism and you can get people to do anything.
2: It was incredible. I mean, just flipping the double bird and yelling, fuck fossil fuels, <laughs> fuck yeah, wind turbines. Like they are, they are my heroes. I hope that those fine Philadelphians are just still having the time of their life. I hope they're at the game tonight. It was an Eagles-Vikings game, ironically enough, that game I went to. Yeah, man, I just i like when the players are healthy and I just really don't like when they're not healthy. It fucking sucks. But football's back, baby.
1: Football's back. Xavier, we've given you the opportunity now to not talk about that if you don't want to.
3: Yeah, you know what? I don't have to talk about that injury. So instead, I'll talk about Jason Dominguez. <laughs> coming in and, and making history. And then within a week, within a week of coming up, having to get Tommy John surgery, and now he's out until the middle of next year at the earliest. Which is just like, I feel like James put this into the air when they said that they would rather the Yankees finish below 500 than anything else, and the universe said, all right, bet, and let's just kill Jason Dominguez. I'd be
1: fair. I wish no specific ill will on Jason Dominguez. You're not going to make me feel guilty about this, is all that I'm saying.
3: (laughs) I know, I know. You don't ever have to feel guilty about anything, but I'm just saying it did happen. And you know what? Yoshinobu Yanomamoto is going to become a Yankee of and he'll, is. and he'll get Tommy John surgery by May. So it's.
1: No, it's, he'll do the Tanaka. He'll, he'll somehow manage to be like the second person ever to avoid it for you. Guys. Yeah. I, I, people did not talk about that. Remember, yeah. Remember when Masahiro <laughs> Tanaka <laughs> didn't get <laughs> it, Tommy John surgery? and yeah, He just pitched with
3: no UCL for years, which is, and, and was good. Like, yeah. he, like it, it, absolutely wild, but it's uh, like uh,
2: who is it? It was Dewan Blair, Pit Panthers, yes. and then played for the Spurs and had no ACLs.
1: I just don't know how you're standing. I I mechanically don't understand how the body's compensating for that.
3: I mean, I could tell you, my dad when he had to get his second knee replacement, the bone in his knee had like degenerated so badly because of all his injuries that there was nothing left there, and so fluid just pulled into his knee and essentially act as a buffer between the rest of his knee that didn't have an actual like anything holding him together and he was still working out and doing stuff and doctors thought he was insane.
1: I mean, I can almost understand that a little bit more because that's not necessarily contributing to the tension of it all, but like truly not having a ligament. I don't understand how the bones don't just kind of crumple without that tension. But we don't need to get further into that because we'll all get grossed out eventually.
3: (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately, it's been a lot of injuries for anyone who's a Yankees and Jets fan. So that sucks. But one good thing is Luis Rubiales finally resigned, even if it took him going on Piers Morgan's television program to try to rewrite history and say that he had apologized in the beginning and that, you know, he was doing this out of the goodness of his heart and not because everyone wanted him out. But... That part doesn't matter. The part that matters is that he's out. And also La Liga Femenil, the women's soccer league in Spain, had been threatening to strike over very low salaries, and they were able to come to an agreement for a significant pay raise. So after a couple weeks of terribleness, Spanish women's soccer looking okay right now. Do they have a team called
1: the Tigers that we can also support?
3: Possibly.
2: <laughs> no, no Las
1: no hay tigres. Está bien. Speaking of supporters, we have decided here as we approach several milestones and pass several milestones, we didn't want to let our heads get quite too big. We wanted to make sure that there was a little bit of oversight on all of this. And so what we've got for you today, folks is a roster of some of our dear friends and dear listeners, just like you who have come to correct some mistakes, and some missed opportunities to properly honor both guys themselves and the concept of guy that we try to enshrine here and so what we're going to do next is just introduce those good friends we hope you'll enjoy this as we take a look back at times that we done fucked up welcome to our new kind of Folks, we're gonna to get today's ceremony started off with a very special guest, a longtime listener, now fourth time caller. Congrats on stacking that lead a little bit further. Congratulations, of course, to Kevin McFall. Kev, welcome back to the show.
4: Oh, thank you guys for having me back on. It's a pleasure.
1: Well, I mean it, it's a pleasure to have you, but of course, we are here to address where we've come short. And it's not necessarily a pleasure to relive our mistakes, but as someone that has been an A1 since day one, we feel that you are perhaps the most qualified to kick off this round of really putting us back in our place.
4: No, I mean, I, you know, long time listener to the show. I love what you guys do every Monday gets me through the work day, but I did get assigned this task and I thought it would only be fair that a long time listener would, uh, you know, check you guys on where you came a little short. If you just want me to get right into it, I can.
1: It's, yeah, no, there's, there's no reason to beat around the bush.
4: So I want to start with uh, this guy, and I'm picking him for very sentimental reasons. And he's not a week one guy, but he's very, very early on. And you guys are still figuring out some bumps and bruises. And I just think he was overlooked and missed, and that is Mr. Buddy Ryan.
1: Buddy Ryan. Um, this Buddy is- Ryan.
4: Really the first
1: time that we discussed like anyone for off field. Well, it's not that the coach is like on the field, but I I think you're right to point out that we didn't really know what to do with people who didn't have big stats that we could attach to them.
4: Yeah. And I think that day, I think you kind of, James, you had a basketball coach for the Spurs before Popovich and uh, Xavier had Don Zimmer.
3: Yeah. Don Zimmer.
4: Diaz brought Buddy Ryan, and naturally, as an Eagles fan, I was like, come on, Buddy. Come on, Buddy. It didn't get in. But I thought Don Zimmer and Buddy Ryan sort of cut from the same cloth kind of guys. So it was still a good choice, but I think Buddy would have been a better choice. And just take a minute here, and I'll explain why. Buddy Ryan, Philly legend. means a lot to me. Buddy Ryan served in the Korean War that my grandfather served in. So it means a lot to me. I think Buddy Ryan changed football with the 46 defense. So he changed football without ever stepping on the field, which not a lot of people can say that they did. And I just love the narrative of this Eagles butterfly effect that previous owner...
1: I feel like I need to say for trademark purposes, butter guy effect. (laughs) Yes,
4: yes. Uh, Yes. So I love the butter guy effect of the previous owner before Jeffrey Lurie firing Buddy Ryan made him so unpopular in Philadelphia that he felt the need to sell the team. Jeffrey Lurie hires Andy Reid. Andy Reid moves on, and we go through a distraught period with Chip Kelly. But then we get Andy Reid's guy. He comes back, and he wins us the championship. So I think we can trace back Super Bowl 52 to Buddy Ryan. Um, First of all,
2: let, let me just say, Kev, I'm loving this whole pitch because – with my Mitch Canham pitch, I, I was a little hurt because there was a lot of guys I presented that deserved to get in. And I think Buddy's right at the top of the list. And I think you're nailing it. Just as I am willing to attribute the winning run to yes, Mitch Canham's direction
1: It's the circuitous logic that stands out.
2: The rage in Philadelphia that burned when Buddy Ryan was fired was not quenched until a series of moves later led to Doug Peterson leading the Eagles. And I think... I don't want to make the claim for you, but it sounds like you might be saying Doug Peterson owes his entire career to Buddy Ryan.
4: I mean, I don't think it's too far-fetched that if Doug Peterson were to ever get in the Hall of Fame, that he would start off by saying, I'd like to thank Buddy Ryan.
2: That's the first one. Exactly.
4: Yeah.
1: (laughs) number one. Not his
4: wife, not his kids, not the Lord, Buddy Ryan.
1: I got to say, I I love this also because it's very early, but we have- Gone to more categories that Buddy Ryan, you know, while maybe not exemplary, and does kind of also stand out in. We have talked about labor rights, and he is a very pro labor coach historically. So that is something that we love the the ways that he not only stood with his players during the strike, but then also fucked Dallas up real good for not standing with their players during the strike afterwards. He's got some weird claims to fame with the record books. He is the only non-head coach to like be hoisted after the Super Bowl. So it's amazing that we've further refuted how wrong we were to not honor Buddy Ryan as we've gone further. No disrespect meant to Don Zimmer. I don't want to say I regret my vote on Don Zimmer, but I'm, I'm glad that we're giving Buddy his due.
4: Yeah, Don Zimmer, great choice. Everyone listening, go back and listen to Diaz's pitch for Buddy Ryan because I only wanted to bring things that he hasn't mentioned just to kind of keep this short and sweet. So before I get to my main argument, I do want to say following up with what you said, James, about Buddy Ryan falling into some other categories that you guys love. You guys talked about nepotism, you know, nepotism babies, and Rex and Rob were on his coaching staff in Arizona. That counts for one.
1: Rex is pretty good. Rob is a Nepo baby. Yeah, I mean, I
3: I can't hate on Rex Ryan. But he, I mean, to be fair, they're definitely both Nepo babies anyway because they got a lot of exposure thanks to Buddy. I mean, Rex talked a lot about his experience growing up watching Buddy with the Bears. So I think the Nepo baby thing works there for the Ryan siblings.
4: One of my other arguments, going back to that, Uh, with his two children being NFL coaches, he is like Stormcat and Cal Ripken Sr. He's got good seed.
1: The seed is indeed strong.
4: So he's up there with Stormcat. I think
1: he's up there with Cal Ripken Sr. I don't think we need to say he's up there with Stormcat.
4: (laughs) I don't think anyone's up there with Stormcat.
2: (laughs) I I mean, like, Genghis Khan, maybe.
4: (laughs) I thought um, there was one point that Diaz missed. He talked about the bounty game with Dallas. My father always liked to remind me of the body bag game with Washington where he was kind of on his way out. I think it was his last season, and he told the press pregame that they were going to leave in body bags, and nine Washington players got hurt in the game. So calling his own shot there.
2: And it got to the emergency quarterback. I think, I think that game ended, I want to say it was Brian Mitchell had to play quarterback for uh, Washington.
4: That's just such old man talk, too. He's like, they're going to leave in a body bag. And then you don't ever see nine players get hurt anymore.
2: Buddy Ryan walked so that Sean Payton and Greg Williams
4: could run. Yeah. And my one last fun stat was you guys mentioned him serving under Neil Armstrong in Chicago, the head coach before Mike Ditka. There was also a pilot in the Korean War named Neil Armstrong who would eventually go on to walk on the moon. So Buddy Ryan served under and served with Neil Armstrong.
1: Again, playing to the <laughs> themes that we are fans with, the one who he served under in Chicago, I think it's pretty safe to say the less famous of the two Neil Armstrongs.
4: Yeah, undoubtedly.
2: There, there's somebody on some corner bar outside Chicago Stadium that's talking about, you know what, they should have never got rid of Neil Armstrong. <laughs>
4: So my main argument here, why Buddy Ryan should be in, is actually just a little beef with Diaz here. Diaz, I thought you rolled over a little bit. I went back and listened. <laughs> and that, that is not the Buddy Ryan way. It's not. Buddy Ryan it's does that. not roll over. You, that's that's you, probably uh,
1: show Diaz way too. That is not, I think, modern day Diaz.
4: Modern day Diaz would go out on his shield for Buddy Ryan.
2: I would threaten to leave the podcast if, as I look at that trio that we nominated that week. If if it was truly to be against Buddy again, if we were to re that whole episode, I would go out on my shield.
1: I will say, as I did then, I do think the most guy coach that anyone nominated was the guy that Greg Popovich fired so he could replace him and become the greatest coach of all time. Bob it, Hill, it, it t- by the way. We haven't said his name. Shout out to Bob Hill. But that's not who we're talking about here. We're talking about Buddy Ryan.
4: Yes, that was just my thing. I thought. Some of the arguments for Don Zimmer, you know, him being a lifer, which I kind of attribute to Buddy Ryan as well. He was uh, in the NFL for a very long time. Kids living on that legacy now. I just thought you guys, and again, it was early day. It just seemed like when it got time to litigate, it just seemed like Don Zimmer was almost too much of a foregone conclusion. I don't think Buddy Ryan got enough legal representation
3: I mean, maybe because the one lawyer on the podcast did such a great job advocating for Don Zimmer.
1: I appreciate that you brought this up, this sort of the length of discussion, because one last point I want to make about this episode that came up as I'm looking at a sheet of runtimes that I keep going for it. It's really when we break into the upper percentile of runtimes since that We used to think like, oh yeah, this will be a show we can do in like an hour every week. And this was the first time where that became very clear. Oh, no, we cannot.
4: No, I mean, but you, the show is so great just because you guys go into great detail and the great things about guys are their uniqueness. You can't tell a broad story about a unique guy. So I appreciate the runtime. And like I said, it gets me through my mornings every Monday. So uh, one last thing I thought DS forgot maybe in his argument, Don Zimmer got a lot of love for fighting Pedro Martinez. Buddy Ryan got in at least two confirmed fights, and he would have fought Jimmy Johnson had his behind not been so wide, as Jimmy Johnson said. And you know what? Buddy Ryan was 62, and I wrote the offensive coordinator's name down. No, I didn't. The offensive coordinator that he fought was 42. So it was 62 versus 42, and I still would have put my money on Buddy Ryan. And that is my argument for Buddy Ryan today.
1: Well, while we appreciate the kind words there, Kev, we appreciate the constructive criticism even more, because I think you have done well to point out some flaws in the process that led us to overlook Buddy Ryan. Again, not at the expense of Don Zimmer in the slightest, but I think presented with the opportunity that we have today, I think that we have some honors to bestow.
2: We do. And it's long overdue, just as Mike Ditka stole the valor of the 85 Bears Super Bowl from Buddy Ryan. But real Chicagoans know, and real listeners of this podcast know, there's only one guy that you can attribute that success to. There's only one guy that could take a team that had literally just one guy on offense. It was really just Randall. But build the most terrifying defense of all time, Uh, he's the progenitor of the 4'6". He is the progenitor of the Ryan family. I don't think he gets the blame for the foot thing with Rex. I think that's kind of just on Rex. But he does get credit for Rex's defense. He does get credit for Doug Peterson winning the Super Bowl with the Eagles. And he does get credit for being officially inducted into this hall. Welcome, Buddy Ryan, to the Hall of Guy.
1: Welcome, Buddy Ryan. It was a pleasure, Kevin, to welcome you back on again. And uh, if you have no final remarks, we'll go ahead and see who else it is that we are about to be so thoroughly corrected on.
4: Nah, no more remarks. Just glad Buddy Ryan is getting his due. And thank you for having me back on. I'm sure I will be back on soon. We'll
1: look forward to it. You see, Ladies and gentlemen, and everyone else, we are now proud to be graced with the presence of disgraced NBC anchor turned chief Bison Dele correspondent. This is our good friend Brian Williams. Any update on the search for a body? You know, we're all looking. We spend a lot of our time down there out in the waters. No luck yet. Well, some good luck for you. We'll go ahead and, and throw this in here as we continue. You are... Currently the number one team in the RTG-affiliated Clockwork Orange Hoodie League, which is our WNBA Fantasy League. It is quite likely that by the time this episode comes up, you have mopped the floor with the competition and won your first title. That is certainly something that could have happened, or you'll be followed by some very unfortunate horns here. We'll see what happens. One way or the other, it has been a joy to have you there. But more importantly, it is a joy to have you here today, Brian, because as a frequent listener, you are another person whose opinion we value in knowing... How have we fucked up in the run of this show? Well,
5: oh, thank you, James. I, I, I wouldn't say that I that, that, uh, fucked up here uh, On Pablo Montoya. I touched on all of the key points, but as I was looking back, there was these little extra details that are super fascinating. I thought I'd, I thought I'd try to fill in some cracks. F1's prominence is it's the, the America's a bit more thanks to Netflix. People are a little disappointed after the first season that they maybe came in, where it was a wonderful season. Now it's, it's just acts for stops and dominance. APM's time in F1 was directly in the middle of Michael Schumacher. He was incredibly dominant. He won four championships in a row. And as James will know, I love my fake fictional stats. So I like to play out the sort of what if of the 2003 F1 season for Juan Pablo Montoya, because I think there's a version where he very well could have won. He spoke out about the issue in that season was that the reliability is what killed him. So I did the math on that. He had one race where he was retired due to a hydraulics issue and another that he was retired due to an engine issue. So what I did was I took the rest of his finishes throughout the entire F1 season and figured out what's, what's his average finish and what points total does that give him. Imagining I'm going to give him an average score for those races that he didn't actually complete his average finish was about fourth, which would be five
1: championship points. So adding and that... To clarify, you get zero for the two that he finished with engine problems. And- Correct.
5: Yep. Anything after ninth in that season, you got no points, and not finishing at all is certainly after ninth in this case. There have been races mm-hmm. where not many people have finished. A Monaco won. I think like six people finished once. They didn't work out points the same way that Anyhow. So he would have finished, rather than 82 points, with 92 points. Uh, Michael Schumacher finished with 93 points. But one race, JPM would have jumped him out of the points entirely in Japan. The final race, uh, Schumacher finished eighth. So they would have been tied on points. And I believe X found there was another, It was, was it a cart uh, season that he was also tied on points and the tiebreaker was wins? That, that's yeah. That's right. So it was the same thing in this. It would have been that. So he almost would have won the F1 championship that year. But what if he finished a little above his average? Anything's possible. He would have won the F1 championship. He would have been the only actual person to complete the modern equivalent of the Triple Crown of motorsport. That's how close he was to being like such a guy. Like he would have been disqualified well, but- as guy.
1: Yeah, I was like, that almost tore him out of the running. So this is, if anything, knowing that he came so close <laughs> to breaking the boundary and yet remained tied to the earth, chained by Guinness, is very compelling to me.
5: Yeah, it's, it's an all or nothing situation. And he hit the nothing one. And the years between the Indy 500 record, that, that was great. But the Triple Con of Motorsport was previously defined as 24 Hours Le Mans, Indy 500, and Monaco. Monaco, less prestigious over time, a bad rainy day, and your brother could win the Monaco Grand Prix. But he did it again in 2003 with one of the most competitive years in a long time in F1, frankly because Schumacher was dominating. F1 went out of the way to change the scoring system. They went out of the way to adjust tracks. This was actually the first year that Monaco removed a bunch of barriers. It decreased the average speed uh, of a lap there by two seconds, which is a lot. So this was a very competitive time. You could make the argument that that's a prestigious win. That's a very big stretch, a very big stretch. But there's always these little things around him being so close to glory. In 2000, when he won the Indy 500, he voted not to do it. He His team had to drag him to abandon what he thought at the time, the, the cart side, the champ side, because he was fighting for the title there. He wasn't really close in the IRL. So he had to kind of go tooth and nail with them, and he lost that fight, and then went on to win it as a rookie, which is such a rare accomplishment. That's a funny thing about that record.
1: And he crushed it. He, he really led
3: did. led 70% of the race.
1: Well, it's, it's like how you never want a person who wants to be king to be king. The best Indy 500 racer is the person that does not want to engage in the Indy 500 in the first place.
5: Yeah. And that was another thing. In a 2014 interview, people... It was in an F1 interview, which is very funny. He truly does have a curious personality. I know Xavier mentioned his anger was his happiness, but he's really this kind of mellow aggressive. That's He doesn't really care about anyone. He he, he went out of his way to say, I didn't respect Michael Schumacher. That's why I was better at racing the other one. I still don't respect him. And this was before Schumacher's
3: accident. Okay, I was going to say I was like wait a second, that's kind of fucked up. They had Same to clarify. <laughs> they
5: they they it was like the season it was around when it happened, so they had to like interstitch a cards like JPM did not know what was going to happen here. Uh
3: Yeah, I would almost not air that quote uh after well, that happens.
5: And he, and he also talked about how he would never would have gone to F1, he regretted being in F1. This is F1 content. Uh and he's just like, "Oh yeah, F1's not a sport. It's just politics." And, and, and that's that's the thing about him. He never really did the politics side. There have been other successful South American drivers who've come and done the politics. ayrton Senna, uh, Nelson Piquet, who has the very funny quote about Monaco, by the way, which is, uh, it's like riding a motorcycle around uh, your apartment, uh, driving an F1 car in Monaco.
4: There's he's he's
3: not wrong about the politics of F1, where only a couple teams can win, and If you're not the the 1A on your team, you have to take a backseat to make sure your teammate wins. You can get dumped and then, you know, they steal someone who's high performing from a lower team. There's a lot. The movement in there is really set up to, like, to be, if you're not the best, then you have to make your other teammate look good. Like, kind of play your role. Otherwise, you're getting kicked out of there. And, like, Brazilians, there is, like, a rich Brazilian history, but Colombians, not nearly as much, I think. Yeah. JPM is like one of only three Colombians to ever compete in Formula One. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, he's not, he definitely was not wrong about the politics of Formula One. It's very, very insular.
2: I mean, uh, what it sounds like, Xavier, like it, it, it brings to mind Charles Barkley's NBA bus driver <laughs> analogy, except these people are literally driving.
5: <laughs> By the way, there's a Philly connection to uh, JPM uh, for what that's oh, worth. Oh, man. He, also, he, I just
1: I love JPM. Absolutely oh yeah. loving JPM. Wish we'd gotten that going the first time we talked around. Might have been more willing to go with JPM. In <laughs> <place>.
5: <laughs> no, it I just think flow. I think he was up against a juggernaut, uh, if I recall correctly. But he does have a Philadelphia connection in a roundabout sort of way. He went to Skip Barber's racing school. Uh, I don't know if anybody remembers those commercials. There were commercials for you could join Skip Barber's racing school. I was out in California, but Skip Barber himself born in Philadelphia. So huh. very minor. Um. <laughs> So another strange parallel. Xavier told a story about a win where another racer died, and he was unable to celebrate it. So the first F one victory in JPM's career was at Monza, two thousand one, September sixteenth, two thousand one. Proximity Oof. to 9-11-11. There was a lot of debate about what to do, and they did not do the podium celebration. So he is one of the few people in F one history to still have the champagne from his first f1 victory because of that
1: never popped the bottle
5: never popped the bottle it gets crazier the day before the in the cart series if you remember the name alex sonardi they did the swap alex sonardi was in the german 500 in which he had an accident where he lost both of his legs that same weekend anyway i mean it's like, it, it's like, you, you see that meme where it's like
2: the greatest predictor of financial collapse is the Phillies are in the World Series. Like, the greatest predictor <laughs> of tragedy at F1 is JPM finishing on the podium.
0: It's true.
5: Somewhat good news about Alex Sinardi. He did return to racing and hand cycling in triathlon. He had some success. He also did have a serious injury that left him hospitalized for a year and a half.
1: But if it's one where he didn't lose two limbs, it's not his worst hospital. I'm saying.
3: (laughs) I mean, I I love like stories of athletes who compete even after like serious injury. Like I was reading a thing earlier about wheelchair football, which I didn't know existed. I knew wheelchair basketball existed, but it's apparently a big thing up in like Buffalo where they literally do it on hockey rinks with special wheelchairs, and they're playing football and just beating the crap out of
1: each other. And then they do wheelchair hockey on those. You can wheelchair anything. It's like how you can fry anything if you go to a state fair and you just bring them stuff and, like, they'll throw it in the fryer for you. You can just bring wheelchairs to any sporting event. You can
3: fry my mic.
5: (laughs) Wheelchair football did reach some prominence uh, when the Jason Street plotline in Friday Night Lights uh, followed his wheelchair football career.
2: I've, I've done the book and I've done the movie. I haven't... The, the show is, is just too many hours to commit at this point. It's there's very a, daunting.
5: There's so much TV out there. You can put it on the list or not and you'll, you'll live a happy life. And yeah, I don't know. You did a good job. You, you really did. I don't know if I've, I've proven anything here.
1: Well, I'll tell you one list that we have right now. It's a very short list. It's just one name long. But it is a list, Diaz, of people that I think we have some honors to bestow upon
2: yeah, we do have some honors to bestow here. Uh, you know this this hall's not perfect, and no guy is perfect. And Juan Pablo Montoya, a somewhat mercurial personality, but I think it is that personality that can help to elevate a competitor from just that to guy status. Love the fake stats that you brought up during your pitch. Um, all stats are fake. I am an inherent eye test guy, and I think that when we watch JPM drive around, we see a lot of RPM, we see a lot of velocity, and what we see most of all is Guy.
1: <laughs> Guy PM.
2: Well, Guy PM.
1: <laughs> With that, Brian, thank you for bringing this oversight to our attention so that we could correct it further. We appreciate that, and we appreciate your persevering fandom. It is so great to have you on here. Any final words before you, you say your goodbyes?
5: Well, I just want to say it's an honor to be with you all. You are a fantastic podcast, and I has become part of my regular rotation. It is a pleasure being on.
1: Well, it is a pleasure, and congratulations on the championship that you have or have not won by this point. On the docket this evening, folks, it is described by Xavier, our own personal Richard Francis Burton. I'd like to think of him instead as the current Guy Air champion and the chief IT expert for RTG Enterprises here. Please welcome back to the show, Brooks Rudy. How's it going, bud? Thank you.
6: Pleasure to be back. I appreciate the new consulting title you have just handed me and look forward to supporting whatever IT needs you have.
1: Exactly. And I'm glad that you noticed there was a title and there was not a salary mentioned. Yep. Since you are a trivia expert, I'll go ahead and phrase this in the form of a question. Uh, what is an error that you have found in our uh, back catalog? Um,
6: I looked at a few very key people, and this is all specific to baseball. I, I will say that. I did not feel confident in any other sport major or minor to say, this is definitely a thing where I can push back and say, I think this is a guy that was missed with the exception of baseball. It is my favorite sport to watch. I don't know why that is true from like 2015 to 2022, but it has been utterly delightful in 2023 and revitalizing, honestly, for both the sport and fans like me. And as such, I looked at four key people from the list of potential guys that did not make the Hall of Guy that you all have and sort of worked my way through them in the past couple of weeks. For me, and I want to lay out the three I didn't pick first, not because they're necessarily errors, but just... To explain my thought process, I looked at a few and felt for one reason or another, they were not as either deserving or perhaps belonged in a different area as opposed to the one I eventually went with. So I looked at Luis Tiant. My rationale here was I think this individual should be an actual Hall of Famer. And it's typical of both the Baseball Writers Association and the Hall of Fame and MLB that he's not after several opportunities. And despite all of the amazing things he did as a pitcher throughout his career that he's not in. I also looked at Randy Bass, who didn't have much of an MLB career, but an amazing four or five-year span with the Japanese Professional Baseball League, and I believe is in the Japanese Baseball Hall of Fame. So that kind of said to me, he's been recognized for his greatness there. And I also looked at Nancy Faust, and I continue, similar to sort of the, the organist, uh, head of sales and ticketing that you all look through as guys, think that there's a lot there that goes unrecognized that should be recognized, but ultimately where I landed was with R.A. Dickey being a guy to me that should be in the hall of guy and was not the episode, which I believe is episode 29 was well presented. I think R.A. Dickey did not fit the context or the theme of that episode. And Ian Johnson, I think is who was actually selected, which of the three options I think was an excellent one. But to me, R.A. Dickey is a guy that this is a guy who'd mediocre throughout much of his career, sometimes even bad and had four or five, good and then one very good season in the middle of it he's a guy we're all familiar with has a very interesting media presence seems to be a generally interesting person and all of that i felt was very well captured in the narrative laid out but he wasn't a one-hit wonder he was much more of just sort of an interesting kind of guy that's floating around and to me there's a piece in all of this that goes the specialty pitcher who throws a knuckleball otherwise a knuckleball or part of the weird fraternity of knuckleballers or secret cabal or whatever they call themselves or whatever James was calling them. They're all kind of interesting because the sustaining ones that can do it for a 10 plus year career are pretty much always mediocre at best with the exception of like three all time, maybe four. That's what's on my Tony Kornheiser-esque legal pad of notes. It's just scribbles of madness about good knuckleballers. But generally they all kind of hover around mediocre but they last forever and are around in the league. They, to me, seem like an interesting topic of guy. I, I think R.A. Dickey is the most recent representation of that. And despite being both a Phillies and Orioles fan and hating the teams he was largely successful with, I do enjoy his personality, his persona, and his pitching and think that he fits that guy build. And I think James's narrative captured that very well. You did reference Tony Kornheiser
3: and his massive legal pad. Which I like. So that on its own is almost enough to get me on your side.
1: None of the case you made, just the thing that you wrote the case on. That's all that Xavier was looking for. That's what's needed. It's the most
3: important part. We have Everyone who listens to this show knows that actually presenting on your guy is only half the battle. The other half is pandering and successful negotiation. The, The intangibles, so to speak. Exactly.
6: There's, it is full of random stats, if that helps at all. They're not particularly useful because it's people we're not talking about, but there's lots of them.
2: Well, now you're hurting your case from my perspective, Brooks, because I don't like sure. stats. I do love oh, eye tests. Great. Let's try it. Well, and that's the thing where I think the eye test actually helps Ari Dickey a lot, because to your point, there's something beautiful about how the knuckleball does not allow you to be great, but it does allow you to last a long time. It's never with any velocity, going to be pretty tricky to some batters. Sometimes you're going to throw a dud and it's going to get crushed, but it's the willingness to subject yourself. Not that it's not, it's still a skill to throw a good knuckleball. However, you are inherently subjecting yourself to a wider range of outcomes and more, risk i guess
1: chaos you are mm-hmm. giving up some amount of control in order to leverage that against your opponent they can't know what's coming if you don't know what's coming
2: oh exactly i was like yeah it's like drunken master like david wells in spirit is a knuckleballer <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. i agree with your central tenant brooks that like the knuckleball as a phenomenon is the kind of thing that was meant to exist in what we have worked to create here. And while I think you are right that R.A. Dickey was maybe not the right choice for one shining moment, it is the greatest knuckleball season of all time. And as few people as there have been who tried to really master the knuckleball, there is still a lot of back catalog at this point. Hundreds of, uh, sorry, not hundreds, a hundred years of history with <laughs> the knuckleball. Yeah. But that's all to say, like, a lot of people have thrown, and we are all very lucky to have lived in the time of the best one. And I did not like those Toronto Blue Jays teams that he was a part of. Largely, those no. teams were despicable, but R.A. Dickey was pretty tough to hate.
6: The Mets teams weren't much more likable either, and they were not particularly grand at that time, but it still was quite fun to watch. And While I think individually Ari Dickey does possess that season, the piece there that I think James brought up in the narrative that they presented of the fact that this guy doesn't have a UCL in his throwing arm and had to learn to throw this way. And it took some time, but it was something he clearly had down at a rate that was quite impressive that I think is a good mark of intangibles.
2: Now I'm just going down the rabbit hole of let's say Shohei comes back as the greatest knuckleballer of all time.
1: I mean, if he decides to be a knuckleballer, he'll be the greatest knuckleballer of all time. If he decides, I'm just going to go out and be like a slugging left fielder now and break Mark McGuire's single-season home run record, or Bonds holds it, I think, now.
2: It's, Bonds had 73. It, it is funny how he has both the single-season and the career home run records, and yet true baseball no people one will not acknowledge it. In either it.
3: <laughs> one other thing I feel like bringing up to that knuckleballers ballers just feel like the most guy pitchers. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's just something that you're watching on TV and you're like, well, I can't throw ninety nine miles an hour. But I can figure out how to throw a seventy mile an hour ball that no one knows where it's going, including me.
1: That's like half my pitches anyway. Not to like be too cute about it, but it does seem to attract the pitch that is a certain kind of guy. And mm. it it sounds like Upon reexamination, we are all in agreement that R.A. Dickey is not just a guy, Diaz?
2: He's not just any guy. He's a guy that loves pitching. He loves finding a way to get it done. He doesn't need a UCL. Tommy John Factory is going way out of business because R.A. Dickey is not just a knuckleballer. He's not just any old guy. He is a distinguished member now of our Hall of Guy.
1: The knuckleball can't be straightened down, but we have been set straight now with this correction, Brooks, and we thank you for providing that steady hand on the tiller to get us straightened down. Thank you so much, man, for coming on and, and sharing this with us. Any final remarks that you want to make here on the way out?
6: I'm happy to always come on and to return and help set records straight. I personally would love to talk about knuckleballers more because I find them both so strange and so guy-esque. <laughs> and now that I have a pile of names of strange people through time that do this thing, I would be happy to speak on that later if ever needed or wanted. I can't imagine a scenario where you need oh, that. No. But
2: <laughs> I, I, <laughs> no, I think a knuckleballer episode for our off-season, I think, would be great.
1: Mm. That's when you try knuckleballs, after all, is in the off. That is true. Let's see what you can work out.
6: Yeah. The other thing, I was looking at the list of current and former knuckleballers. There appears to only be one who's active. It's Matt Waldron on the Padres. And I remember watching him earlier this year and being like, this guy needs some help. The same time, I do hope as the lone knuckleballer in the league at present, he stays in and the secret brotherhood of knuckleballers everyone quietly knows about can assist a bit.
1: Once again, pitch can't be straightened out, but maybe the pitcher can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brooks, again, not to bear too heavy of a pun sword, but we must knuckle down here and continue along our paths. However, we have very much enjoyed this time that you walked along that path with us. Thanks so much, buddy. Mm-hmm. See you farther down the trail. Living on
0: and time)
7: I sit my watch back
0: to it, on to time.
1: Back in cleanup today. We've got the man, the myth, the legend, the musical director, Don Ham, gracing us with his presence once again. Don, welcome back to the show.
0: Thank you for having me. Thanks, boys. Appreciate it.
1: We appreciate you. We appreciate that lovely introduction. Probably the best audio that anyone gets in any episode as it leads into then us talking for the rest of it.
0: Are you talking about the opening song? I cranked that shit out in 25 minutes, so, that's, uh, <laughs> so I'm glad you guys like it. Every, uh, every episode, I check in to make sure you're still using it. Uh, I listen to it, and then I immediately end the episode and write an invoice, which none of you guys have reimbursed me for those. But, um, yeah, I'm I'm glad it's still growing strong, and I cannot wait to finally get paid for making that for you guys. It will be great. You should have
3: read the contract because it was a percentage of all net revenue. Yeah, we've made you're getting no points. revenue.
1: So. You are getting points on the back end.
3: Five <laughs> percent of zero is still zero.
0: Unfortunately, I cannot wait till you guys get sued by Defector, <laughs> and <laughs> and then uh, and then I will make negative money because I will have to. Help pay for the legal fees. And we're gonna like <laughs> yeah, wonder you do, if guys, you do points on our the guys, all of our uh, costs. Yeah, yeah. Our guys is that a trademarked term or not?
1: Now I have um, I have reached out to David Roth. So he's had the opportunity to tell us to cease and desist if we needed to. That's yeah. An, okay. Yet.
0: Have you have um, you read out to McGarry? Because he seems like he has a way bigger ego and would be willing to say yes. Where's Roth? <laughs> He seems like he, like, McGarry seems like he wants people to think he's important, whereas Roth, like, wants to go to expensive restaurants with his wife. That's the general vibe I get. You know, I hate to say it. This is really, like, podcasting about podcasting, but the episodes <laughs> where fucking McGarry isn't there and it's just Ratto and Roth, those are just, like, chef's kiss perfect. But, um, you know, I think it's... uh. They don't do nearly as much research as you guys. And they don't get into the weeds as much as you guys. So
1: thank you for talking that shit on our behalf, Zach. Hell yeah.
0: (laughs) Just straight talk express. Uh, After McCain died, he left it to me. So I'm just riding around letting people know the truth.
1: Your close personal friend, John McCain. (laughs)
0: That's right. Well,
1: On the topic of perfection, we know that while we may beat some other shows in some other aspects, we are still far from perfect, and I am sure that you will take no small pleasure in detailing exactly the extent to which we are not perfect. And so I'd love to hear, Don, who you have today that uh, we need to kind of rectify.
0: So this is the person that I think you guys, like, fucked up and should have included. Um, Let me begin by saying I feel like... There's a lot of interpretations of Guy, and when I hear Guy, I hear person with a much more successful brother. That's what I hear. Yeah. Like you have, you have a star, a uh, someone who's probably going to end up in the Hall of Fame, I think, uh, or at least in some sort of Hall of Infamy, like Jason Giambi, and then you have just a guy like Jeremy Giambi who just exists and uh, played baseball for a little bit and then didn't. I think Jeremy Giambi is just like absolutely dead center delta of what a guy is in my mind. He did some stuff, some things happened and his career ended. Is there anybody who's had a uh, more unremarkable yet Recorded career than Jeremy Giambi. I mean, he hit 263. He hit 52 home runs in five years. Like he was there for four years. He got a little part in Moneyball. He got. He got. This is to okay. me why. Why even more than anything, this is to me why Jeremy Giambi is a guy. He was played by the actor Nick Perazzo in Moneyball it was nick's first role in hollywood and it was his last role <laughs> so he was literally like he had a bit portrayal in a movie and then that guy also vanished so his like guyness his like mediocrity when it comes to his career it transcends just baseball you know, like Jeremy Giambi is a paragon of like normalness or just, just medianness. Just,
1: I think one of the I, I fully agree. And I think one of the best exemplars of that is the first time I heard someone say Jeremy Giambi's name, my first reaction was, don't you mean Jason Giambi?
0: Yeah, like before exactly. I
1: realized Jeremy Giambi existed, I was just like, No, no, no you mean he's the, other the one, human
0: right? embodiment of like when your brother gets a computer science degree and you get an English degree, like he <laughs> is that's what he is, you know what I mean? Like, that's when you look at wait, and this is the crazy we've all seen Jeremy Giambi highlights, we've seen one over and over. He got tagged out by Derek Jeter in the flip play. That's Jeremy Giambi, he made Derek Jeter, like, look
1: like a good fielder like yeah like jeter rode that he, play for the rest of his career
0: right and he was whatever I, I i don't want to get into that
1: Derek jeter is properly rated He is neither over nor yeah. underrated Derek jeter is exactly what sure. society has come to the consensus he is after a very long period of warring sure
0: sure but yeah i just think when i hear jeremy giambi my eyes go gray. I taste salting crackers in my mouth. I get, like, a little bit thirsty and a and a slight headache. Like, it's just... it's. I hear Matchbox 20. Like, it's all just this beige-gray middle ground that his career occupies, you know? And if we're not, like, defining a guy as that, I don't know what a guy is. It's incredible to look
2: at his baseball reference page because it doesn't seem like it's a player whose career should have ended at age 28 and then it just does
0: yeah like i i I, um we don't have to get into it but i knew he had passed away tragically but i thought that's what cut off his career like i i don't know why like that 20 years from him like stopping a plane to when he passed away like it I just, don't know what it, happened there but I thought like that was what it was. There's like 20 more years of life that are just undocumented <laughs> from from what I can tell. So
2: I do I do think he was he had a role on MLB network I think,
0: right? Okay. Did he, he was, or did
1: Jason? Do we know for certain it was him and not Jason?
0: I <laughs> I'm, I'm not even saying that Jeremy. I think
1: that's the case. That's just, again, my immediate reaction, which I do think just plays right into Don's hand.
0: I think he did. I cannot remember ever seeing this guy on TV. Let me ask you a question. Do you think if you saw right now, don't look it up, if I showed you a picture right now of Jeremy Giambi, the actual Jeremy Giambi, and then a picture of the guy who portrayed Jeremy Giambi in Moneyball, would you know which is which? Would you be able to tell which I, one?
2: I would assume I actor Jeremy Jambi is probably in better shape. That would be my
0: guess.
1: I'm going to be honest. If not for what I would expect to be certain production details between the uniforms, probably not. That's yeah, that's what I'm saying.
0: Form. Like, it's just he's all the sliders on the create a character just untouched. <laughs> like he is
1: middle. He is just the middle. Yeah. He really
0: was. Joe Player. And like, okay. Th- and this is the part, like, this is why I think you guys are fucking up by not putting him in. Those people have to exist. Like, we need those people. Yes. In life. Yeah. And I think, especially you don't get leads against in this without fucking country, it. especially in this fucking country, like, to lean into being unremarkable, There is there is a level of, like, downright bravery that I think... That requires, you know, like we need tax collectors. We need the guy to hold the stop sign so traffic can only go one way. Like we need the dude who scans your ticket when you go to a ballgame. Like we need these people. Some of us are them. I'm not pointing fingers. I don't feel strongly about this because I'm one of them. (laughs) But we need the unexceptional. Like we need bodies. You know what I mean? We need bodies.
1: Beyond that, and, we need people who accept their unexceptionalness and thrive in it.
0: Yes. And I always got that sense that he kind of was, I don't know, maybe he was cool being Jason Giambi's brother. I don't know. We don't know for sure now. but um, Well, two, yeah.
2: two things I personally love in guys are a good what if. And a Philadelphia connection. And to me, the great what if in Jeremy Jambi's career. Yeah, he was a Philly you in know, 02. And the one year he plays here has a 974 OPS. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> what could have been if only Jeremy Jambi could have gotten to, <laughs>
1: to the <laughs> Rollins core, the Utley core? Like you've got it. L- yeah. You win 2009. We take away Alex Rodriguez's only championship ring. All of the world is thrown into chaos. I'm for it.
0: Yeah, I'm with you guys.
1: Well, if I may, there were very clearly 20 years for Jeremy Giambi in which no one was remembering that guy. Not a single person was out here remembering Jeremy Giambi. Yeah. And we tried. We did our part initially. We didn't go far enough and you are right to put forward that it is our duty going forward to remember Jeremy yeah. Giambi.
0: And I think it's also, it, it's like he didn't have a role in, in baseball. I feel like this is a sport rife with guys because you expect your like kickers or your holders or your left wings and hockey and your backup centers. like. Those people are, like, assigned the role of guy. Jeremy Giambi is just, like, er guy. He's just, it, it's his essence, man. Like, it, it really, it really is just who he was. And you guys absolutely fucked up not recognizing that, you dopes, you assholes. How could you yes, miss you're, it?
1: You're getting a lot of vindication during this run today. It's been great.
0: It's,
2: I, I think this is now three out of four that were my guys that have been brought up. I believe. Good. <laughs> so, I mean, I, could, I couldn't be more on the same page. And <laughs> yeah. the one thing, I, I believe I said this in the episode, one of the greatest indicators of a guy is that other guys acknowledge his guidance. And when Jeremy Giambi unfortunately passed away, I remember all the tribute videos. It's all kind of yes. baseball players from different eras that you might not even think would have known who jeremy jambi was yes but his legacy preceded
0: himself yes a guy is a person who when they leave this plane everyone just thinks fuck i liked having him around but then they don't really like act on it more than that they just have the thought and they go about their day (laughs) that's the perfect like bullseye and i feel like that's what he inspired
1: And Diaz, if you're feeling so inspired, might there be some honors that we have ready for him?
2: There are some honors. He might be best known for being portrayed in Moneyball. He might be best known for being the other brother in the Giambi family. And, you know, those might be some shadows that you might say are overcast, but we want him to emerge from those shadows. He has to live in them no longer He will now cast his own shadows into our brilliant hall as he strides on in. Welcome, Jeremy Jambi, to the Hall of Guy.
1: Too morbid, but I mean, technically, he's not living in anyone's shadow right now.
0: The listeners can't see this, but I'm unfurling the George Bush mission accomplished banner (laughs) in the back. I'm on an aircraft carrier. (laughs) We're getting ready to. (laughs) this war of attrition this war of omission chief plane yeah it's it's i'm about did
1: you manage to get the same one like is that the original mission accomplished
0: no i uh i staples (laughs) the guy got what it was from though when i went to pick it up he shot me a look he was like oh okay
1: you're celebrating an underwhelming victory that's good that's That's right Um, We do hope you enjoyed this underwhelming victory, Don, just as much as we enjoyed you being on here. Any final words on your way out?
0: If any of my students ever find this, uh, I'm going to give you an F if you tell anyone. (laughs) 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 So, yeah, that's it for me. Thanks for having me, guys. Always a pleasure.
1: It's always a pleasure to have you on. It is genuinely always a pleasure to kick everything off with that music. And we're going to go ahead and kick off our next guest with some different music right now. Check your five hole, folks, because we've got our fifth guest with us today, a new voice here on Remember That Guy, a friend here from down in the mid-Atlantic, a fellow mass and masochist, but officially our Dundalk affiliate, Joel Miller. Welcome to the show.
7: Thank you so, so much. It is wonderful to be here. I really feel it's an honor because I know that you've had real guests on your show, and I don't know if I quite elevate to that level, but I'm appreciative of the invitation nonetheless thank you very much
1: we are uh you're appreciative like it, it is truly nice to know that there are people that listen to this every week as you make sure to let me know at work that you do and and sincerely we do thank you for that but of course we don't want to let all of this go to our heads because what we are here to do is know how we fucked up and joel i am curious in your eyes what is one of these bigger goofs that we have made
7: well I wonder if I could introduce this guy in a way that you often do on the show by leaving a few breadcrumbs, and maybe you could give a guess as to who you think I am leading up to. Does that sound okay?
2: Love it. I love breadcrumbs.
7: Wonderful. Wonderful. All right. So, of course, I'm here to make a case for a particular guy. You know, I think the guy's work speaks for itself, but I think their position bears a closer look and perhaps greater appreciation. It's a position that all teams in their respective pro sport now has, which wasn't the case when this person was drafted. As another clue, uh, this guy likely didn't make the haul, not because they're not Hall of Guy worthy, but perhaps it was he's a victim of circumstance, that the theme of that particular episode really didn't work out for them. And as a reminder, that theme was, here for a long time, but not necessarily a good time. A couple more breadcrumbs. This guy basically has an unvarnished record in their pro sport, uh, and it really needed to be for their career to be so long. In fact, really any sense of failure at this position could doom their career, whether that's high school or college or in the professional ranks. And really, even knowing the name of this player often means that they've made a mistake. This player was once quoted in the Chicago media as saying, the less you know about me, the better. I wonder, just with those brief details, if you have any guesses as to who I'm going to resurface for the Hall of Guy.
3: I know who it is. So one of you has to make, the I
1: I saw the glimmer in uh, Xavier's idea. Do we want to try and say it in unison?
3: I'm just going to let you say it.
1: Okay. (laughs) I'm fairly, I mean, the Chicago feels like the giveaway. I'm pretty sure it's Patrick Manley.
0: Ah, yes,
7: you got it. That's right. Patrick Manley and Xavier. I I have to say, you did a phenomenal job of making a case for Manley. So I, I don't want to repeat too much of what you said, but, Just in case, you know, some of the listeners didn't hear the episode, like I didn't. Originally, I had not heard the episode. I don't think I was a listener yet of the show when you introduced Patrick Manley for the Hall of Guy. But if I could revisit just a few points before I get into my case that I would like to make. And Xavier, as you brought up, Manley was the longest tenured Chicago Bear in history. And the quote you had that I thought was really nice is that he often lived in the shadows of his team but he played for the Bears from 1998 to 2014. And he really did help elevate the position. There's this legacy now of long snapper camps for people of all ages, it seems like, around the country, which in part, I think, is inspired by an award named after Patrick Manley now, which goes to the NCAA's best long snapper in Division I football every year, which is now an award that is in its fifth year. And I can't wait to see who gets the 2023 honors. And up.
3: Oh, sorry to interrupt, but LongSnapper.com okay. yeah. is his website. That's right. Yeah. He is the, the LongSnapper.
7: Which is amazing that he even got that one. I mean, I don't know who else would have wanted that URL, but I, I'm so happy that he got it. Another point that you made relative to the website, though, is that he did what any self-respecting NFL lineman did upon retiring and creating an IPA named after the position of the long snapper, which is available this season again at Bears games and in bars around the Chicagoland area. And there's a couple of key stats, and I promise I'll get into what I would like to bring to it. But Xavier, you brought up a couple of key stats. In Manly's career, he had 2,282 botch-free snaps, which to me, I can't even fathom, really. Like going out on an NFL field and just being that perfect, that good almost every single time. In fact, he played 180 games without a block punt. You noted that he was beloved by the other special team members of the Bears, and they weren't slouches. I mean, guys like Robbie Gould we're talking about here. He also has 81 special teams tackles, and of course, he was a 2013 Ed Block Courage Award winner for the Bears. And, you know, as a Baltimore guy, I love bringing up the Ed Block Courage Awards. Ed Block, of course, legendary Baltimore Colts trainer. So... I think that was a pretty good case. And I do think in some ways, maybe he was a victim of circumstance given the episode in which you brought him up. But if I could offer a few additional considerations about what I think makes Manly a good candidate and three things I want to bring up one, some qualitative details about his gameplay. I'd like to talk about him as a multi-sport athlete. And of course there's some intangibles out there that I'd like to bring up. So if I can get into the qualitative details here, Manly a guy who not only altered the position forever of long snapper but he faced a lot of high stakes during his career and of course I know the stakes are always high for a long snapper but I think Manley's career with the Bears was no ordinary long snapping career so in the 16 years that he had with the team do you know how many times the Bears made the playoffs
1: at least one uh let's say let's say five
3: I'll say five feels about right I think it's more than that. I'll say five is
7: very close.
3: Is it seven?
7: It's actually slightly under four times. Ah. Now, four playoff appearances in 16 years might not sound like a lot. Because it is. So, (laughs) to me, you know, those playoff games, those very few precious playoff games, are pretty high stakes, especially for Bears fans, right? And in those four seasons in which the Bears made the playoffs in Manly's tenure, They played in seven playoff games. Incredibly, and I say this as a Ravens fan, incredibly, six of those playoff games were played in Chicago. I don't know how they got so many home playoff games. That's Um,
1: infuriating.
7: Isn't it? (laughs) And the one that wasn't at home, you could probably guess, was, of course, the Super Bowl that they played in. So, all right, that means a couple of things. Not only are those playoff games really precious, but also the Bears are punting and kicking field goals a lot in those 16 years. If I could start with the playoffs, because it's not just the circumstances of the playoffs, but it's the conditions in which the playoffs are happening in the wintertime in Chicago. For instance, his very first playoff game. I know we have a Philadelphia contingent here. In 2001, Bears host the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, yes. Course, if you remember oh, that yes. game.
3: I, I don't, don't know listen. if you
7: remember any great details in that game. I don't. But. I
2: Hugh Douglas, like, very deliberately broke Jim Miller's collarbone <laughs> block. <laughs> like, Jim Miller threw an interception, and he was trying to, like, get down to make a tackle a little half-heartedly. But Hugh Douglas saw and was like, you're trying to get involved in the play. I am planting you. That's my everlasting memory of that game. Hugh Douglas just being an absolute dick to Jim Miller.
7: I appreciate that. That's not something that I remembered, and I think I'll have to go back and look that up to really conjure that memory. But it wasn't that kind of game for Manly. But Manly did snap back five punts and a field goal in that game, where there were regular 10 to 15 mile-per-hour winds, temperature hovering just below freezing the whole time. And that's going to be a common theme. There was only one home playoff game that Manly played where the temperature was above freezing, and that would be the 2005 divisional playoff game that they lost to the Panthers, where the Bears punted seven times, and again, 15 to 20 mile-per-hour winds. All right, let's get to the big playoff season, which is, of course, 2006, which, as a Ravens fan, very difficult to talk about the 2006 playoffs.
1: We're we're on the other side of the field with the NFC. It's fine. It's fine.
7: (laughs) I do have to mention the one team I really don't want to mention in that season eventually. But Manley plays in three playoff games there. Two of them, of course, are in Chicago. One where he snaps back the game-winning field goal in overtime to beat the Seahawks in the divisional playoff game. There. Wind chill of twenty-two degrees. NFC Championship game. The next week, they defeat the Saints thirty-nine to fourteen, where the Bears also somehow punted seven times and kicked three field goals in a wind chill of thirteen degrees. Now, of course, There's this so brings many out. possessions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I feel like I have to go back and watch these games again. I'm not sure exactly how all of this went down. But I do have a vague memory of the Super Bowl of that year. Now, do you all remember the weather conditions in the Super Bowl in Miami that year where the Bears played Indy? Pouring rain. Yeah, they had about an inch of rain on the field that game, about regular 20-mile-per-hour wind gusts. And Manley, I mean, I think he did his part. He snapped the ball back for five punts and a field goal. All of them went off without a hitch somehow, even though the Bears did not prevail ended up playing in two more playoff games, but if I could, just to wrap that part up, note that he was part of 44 punts and seven field goals, including a game-winning overtime field goal in the playoffs in his Chicago career. Not too bad. Now, even in the years where they didn't do so well as a full team, you have guys like Brad Maynard leading or being in the top 10 of punting yards for six of Manley seasons, and only four punts were blocked in that whole time. The Bears were also in the top three of field goals attempted in five of Manley's seasons. So, I mean, he's out there getting a lot of action. Although, I would love to ask any long snapper, how do you keep fresh, how do you keep warm in the freezing cold wind and rain or anything that happens in a Chicago home playoff game, really? That aside, if I ever get that chance, I'll ask him that. If I could move on to the Patrick Manley Award for just a moment as well. Because I know, Xavier, you did a nice job of kind of outlining that award and what that means. According to Manley himself, who is a reliable narrator if I've ever seen one, in 2004, only 8% of Division I college football teams gave scholarships for athletes at the long snapper position. Right now, 85% of Division I football teams offer scholarships for long snappers. If Manly didn't have something to do with that, I don't know. I don't know what I'll do. I'll eat my Ravens hat.
3: I mean, he definitely had something to do with that, just like he had something to do with long snappers getting recognized as an actual position by the NFL when they realized, oh, hey, we have to invite someone to do the long snapping at the Pro Bowl anyway. Maybe it makes sense to recognize a good long snapper. And it was the Bears saying, hey, yeah, we have this guy who's really, really good. They're an actual position. So, I mean, a big portion of his career has just been, hey, people recognize the fact that, You never want to notice a long snapper's there, because if you have a bad one, you're going to know it really, really quickly.
1: He has the website. Like, I'm going to attribute some of any long snapping success to him. He literally has the website.
7: Yeah, I think those are excellent points. It breaks my heart that he didn't get a Pro Bowl nod at some point in his career. Now... If I could go into two more points, and these are more brief than my last point. One, I'd like to mention the fact that he is a multi-sport athlete. And Xavier, you mentioned that he played high school basketball, but that's not the sport that I want to talk about. I'm not sure that you knew this, but Manley is an excellent golfer. In fact, he has a two handicap, which for those who aren't you know unaware of that, that places him in about the 98th percentile of golfers worldwide. Interestingly, when he talks about it, it was his grandfather who taught him to play. But it was his Bears colleague, quarterback Chris Chandler, who really pushed his game to the level that it is today. And after he really got back into it as a Bear, it really became the thing that bonded the special teams unit together. To talk about during training camp and offseason, this is where the punters, kickers, and the long snapper, this is where they would really bond, was on the links and not on the gridiron. And right now, if you have access to NBC Sports Chicago, you can tune in to watch Manley as a co-host on Golf 360 TV which is sponsored by Timothy O'Toole's Bar in downtown Chicago. Um, I haven't watched it yet, but I'm looking forward to it.
1: Greatest sponsorship ever. Please continue.
7: If I can note a few intangibles, because you already know that his long snapping skills are really on point. They're exceptional. But where else can he snap the football? Patrick Manley can snap a football into a moving taxi cab from 10 yards out. Manley can snap a football from one tour boat. To the captain of another tour boat while both tour boats are moving on Lake Michigan. He can snap a football into a basketball hoop from half court, at least one out of three tries. And he can snap a football out of a sand trap and hit the pin from about 15 yards. And if you think I'm making any of that up, these are all recorded and online. So you can go ahead and vouch for me there.
2: I just love like, this is how we get the long snappers the recognition that they deserve. We just need a viral like TikTok trend of absurd long snapping scenarios.
1: We put them in a Dude Perfect video where basically Dr. Seuss has written the script. Would you, could you on a boat? Would you, could you in a sand trap? Um, and there you go. <laughs> now we have long snapper recognition.
7: Yeah, and then the piece that I can't
1: prove, I really wish I could,
7: is that he might have worn number 65 because he's six foot five inches tall. I, I can't prove that, but... That's something that's out there. I can verify, however, that he's still in the Chicago area. And I I don't know about you, but I love it when pro athletes just kind of set up shop in the places where they play professionally, you know, we're familiar with his beer and he's reminisced again. You can look this up online about chances to meet up at Timothy O'Toole's bar in downtown Chicago, which is one place where you could saddle up to the bar and enjoy the long snapper IPA on tap. Like I said before, Manley once was quoted as saying, the less you know about me, the better. But I think we could only stand to gain by knowing all this extra information about Manly. And so with that, I appreciate your time again. And I'll conclude my case for Patrick Manly's entrance into the Hall of Guy.
3: I do also want to say, you would have no way of knowing this, but we were literally just talking about Tommy John surgery earlier. And he is also the son-in-law Of Tommy John as a...
1: It's an incredible guy connection. It was the first time we talked about it and it hasn't become any less incredible. Incredible. I I have a couple thoughts on, on Patrick Manley. I think you... I think there's two really strong things that you pointed out there. One of which is that, as Diaz is fond of saying, guys elevate other guys. And I think your case in specifically describing the greatness of Patrick Manley through the stats of like his punters, because stats for a position like long snapper aren't really available to the same extent that we look to those guys around him being brought up by the rising tide, I think is a true mark of guy as is just the greatness at a obscure position. You know, the other point you made, it's not necessarily the best category for him because while he was there for a long time, he was there for a very good time. He was incredibly good at what he did, but, I mean, the whole of guy feels a little incomplete without the world's greatest long snapper. I'm sorry, Morgan Cox.
2: Well No, it is, it is a good point about him being too good because I think there's a few positions you can get away with, like, not being the best and, like, hanging on for a few years. Nobody's like, shit, we could have won a couple Super Bowls these past five years if we just had a better long snapper. It's a shame that we are stuck with this long snapper, like... It's a position where, like, you have a lot of job security until you mess up one time, and then if you mess up one more time, you're out.
1: People don't care about having the best, but then the second you are anything less than the best, they will not possibly stand for you to remain.
2: They're they're a lot like umpires. True, true. That's a great point.
1: I mean, I don't hear or see any dissent regarding Patrick Manley. I think this is an excellent opportunity to... Recognize a guy that had fallen by the wayside. And if if that's the case, then Diaz, I can go ahead and let you do those honors.
2: Right. It's it's a it's a position that is perhaps the guys in all of American sports, because people like to say a kicker doesn't belong on a football team. It's such a, a niche specific thing that they do. But if we really delve down into it, the most important part of that play The part that enables both the hold and the kick, and without this, it is impossible to have either of those, is, of course, the long snap. It is the most underappreciated. It is the most underrecognized. But now it shall be recognized in this hall. And may he be the first of many, and may this be a watershed moment for the long snapper position as we right our wrongs and we welcome in Patrick Manley to the Hall of Guy.
7: Wow, I am really thrilled for Patrick Manley, and selfishly, I am just in awe of the fact that I had some little role to play in one guy <laughs> getting into the hall.
3: Well, when he sends us a case of long snapper IPA to celebrate, we'll be sure to send some to you.
1: Well, I think we're starting to develop a little Midwestern bar crawl here because we've got Timothy O'Toole's, but we've also got Bobby Plump's bar and we got to set that up ahead of time. So I don't know. There may be a trip involved in our future, but here in the present, no, Joel, it's been lovely to have you play the role that you have today. And it's always lovely to get the feedback from you on a week to week basis. And uh, we so appreciate you coming on.
7: Thank you so much. And I will say one of the reasons I look forward to Mondays now is the next episode of Remember That Guy. So thank you all.
1: We are the anti Garfield. You heard it first. (laughs) (laughs) And it's oh, daddy, get off of your knees.
4: Mama, why'd you have to go? You darling, Jim, as I don't live. Put my picture in a picture show. Whoa, my picture in a picture show.
1: Coming up on your six, look behind you, it is our sixth guest this evening, UVA alum and Cincinnati Reds rookie phenom, Andrew Abbott, reigning champ of one of our official RTG affiliate baseball fantasy leagues. We are so happy to have you on the show. Welcome.
8: Yeah, thanks. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned my, uh, uh, what's the word, eponymous, rookie of the year candidate for uh, the Cincinnati Reds, right? Because I used to drive the UVA baseball team and I still sometimes will get like, a text that one of the coaches meant to send to that Andrew Abbott. And I'll get like a, a text that'll be like, Hey, uh, great job on that write up in baseball prospectus. And I'm like, you your old bus driver, not the not the other guy.
1: <laughs> Very close. Incredibly close. I mean if they had a nickel for every Andrew Abbott that they were interacting with at that time.
8: Two Yeah, yeah, exactly. That. Yeah.
1: But Andrew, we have not brought you here to drive any buses this time. I'm sure you'd enjoy that. What we, however, would enjoy this time is for you, one of our dear listeners, to go ahead and help us right some of our previous wrongs. Go ahead and tell us what it is that you think has been an oversight on this show's part.
8: And, okay, all right. So when I when I was first going over the list of, of guys that I think are guys, right, you know, I, I ran into a couple one of which uh, was Moises Alou, who was, of course, brought in, and justly so on a relitigation. the most recent one of those, right? And then there there was another guy that I think Brooks picked earlier in this episode. And then for me, the, the next guy on there that really stands out as what I think of when I think of Guy was Ricky Weeks Jr., former second baseman for the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, to me... What solidifies him as a guy is that he was good, right? He wasn't, he was not a bad player at the peak of his career. He, he was a pretty good player and he was still like, I don't know, the fourth best second baseman in baseball at, at his absolute peak. Right. <laughs> During that time
1: period. Strong period of middle infielders. Right. Was but, as like, if it's not once again now.
8: Exactly, right? Yeah, we're, we're in a, another renaissance of the middle infielder, which is my favorite archetype of, of, of player uh, and guy, right? And to me, wh- what makes Ricky Weeks Jr. such a perfect guy is his absolute dominance at the exact wrong time in his career, <laughs> being an absolute murderer in college baseball, right? You know, it's, I think he still has the highest career batting average in the history of college baseball. Like four, was it four sixty five, four seventy five? Yeah, yep. that that's Unfucking that's fucking real.
3: That's fucking outrageous for an HBCU. Like, yeah, the the most overlooked college, and they're like, yeah, no, this guy, he's so good, even though we still don't respect his school at all because we're the NCAA. Uh-huh. He is the
8: best player in college baseball. Yeah. Okay. All right. So yeah. Yeah. It, over his career at college, he went 254 of 546. <laughs> like those, are, those are cartoon numbers. That's, that's MVP baseball 2003 numbers, right? And part, part of what solidified him to me as a guy is that when you say Ricky Weeks Jr., I can see him. Like, I can see him in my head. I cannot think of a specific career moment that super stands out with him at the major leagues, but I see that batting stance. He has like a little Gary Sheffield, little bat waggle that mm-hmm. probably made him way worse, honestly, <laughs> but it looked fucking
1: sick. And that like, really just ugly mid 2000s Milwaukee Brewers kit.
8: Oh, yeah, those things are awful. You got him and, you know, Ryan Braun's just cheating his ass off, trying to get normal guys in trouble (laughs) in those terrible uniforms, right? And then, uh, you know, I I think part of what also just makes the case, right, he was good enough to be on an all-star team once and then never came close to being that good again, (laughs) right? I think it was his 2011 season, right? He makes an all-star team very much deservedly so right he was he was a force that year as as a, a person who grew up a cubs fan right like i hated playing against ricky weeks because he always seemed to clobber us i don't even know if the numbers back that up that he clobbered the cubs but it felt like every time he came up i'm like oh great is this fucking guy again what's he going to do now with his little stupid ass bat waggle which now that you know some times past I can look back on objectively as cool as hell. Then also what solidifies him to me as a guy is that at a certain point, even though like, I think it was like a year before or a year after he became an all-star, they just started having to platoon him at second base with <laughs> Scooter Jeanette, who's a name that most people probably had will not remember at all now that's a name i've not heard in a long time i'm here what it was that on the sound-
1: <laughs> i've had that saved on the soundboard for like three weeks and that's the first good time i've had to use it
8: now that's a name i've not heard in a long sure. time yes yeah, scooter did a name you have maybe heard right but like with within one year of his peak he's suddenly so bad against right-handed pitching that they cannot play him against right-handed pitching anymore. And then he just maintains relevance for about another year and a half and completely falls off the face of the earth. And that to me is a guy, right? Like it's someone that you don't have many like, super specific career highlights of but you remember what he looks like standing in that box you remember that feeling of like ah shit here we go and then that that immediate drop off and uh fall to irrelevance that that to me absolutely fits the archetype of guy it's to
2: kind of just build on what you were saying a guy is as much a person as they are feeling.
8: Mm. Ooh. Yeah. Kind of getting into sort of like a more of a philosophical kind of construct of guy. We're moving into the sort of metaphysical, right? Where like a lot a lot of the guys who have been brought up on the show that I, I really remember watching. I could not tell you what most of them, like a single signature play that most of them mm-hmm. uh, most of them had, but I'm like, oh yeah, man, I, I remember, you know, World Series Baseball 98 or whatever, watching that guy come up and feeling like something's about to happen.
1: To bring art history into it, I would liken it to the shift into Impressionism in the late 19th century where You move away from this photorealistic setting because the camera exists now. We've got the camera. We don't need to have photorealism. Mm -hmm. And so rather you're trying to create what is literally not an accurate depiction of exactly what you are looking at, but it is giving you an impression of the scene that you're at. Hence the term impressionism and that sort of ethereal depiction of these guys in our minds that nonetheless remain very vivid it's almost like when you're staring at a light you close your eyes and you've still kind of got that negative there you know that's not exactly what you were looking at but that's just going to linger there kind of in the back of your mind in the back of your eyelids for a while
8: for sure right like that's exactly how i feel about ricky weeks jr right i remember that little gary sheffield sort of bat waggle i remember him hitting a few absolute bombs off of the cubs and then outside of that, he's just sort of, like, gone in the mist, right? Like, I, I, I didn't watch the Brewers enough to get, you know, like, to be, like, traumatized by his defense or, uh why you know, having memories of important strikeouts or whatever. But, man, I, I, to this day, like, when I see his name, I just have an image in my head of him standing in that box, waggling that bat as hard as he could. Or he, you know, probably swung at the worst pitch of the game.
1: The last thing that feels so compelling about you bringing Ricky Weeks is that element of this being a member of a childhood rival that so infuriated you, but that you have now come to, you know, slowly warm on. I mean, that's, that's like the very first discussion we ever kind of had about guys on this. If we're doing a backwards looking episode, the way that we are right now, and the way that we will continue to do here for a little bit, that's like one of the earliest concepts we've ever discussed someone that just killed us and now remains in our mind forever
8: yeah yeah absolutely right like it's just it's something that just sticks to you forever you, you know it's like a it's it's like you have a a brain tumor that you just cannot it is inoperable and is slowly going to kill you and instead of being a cluster of cancerous cells it's a guy who was pretty good and somehow somehow just made you wish you were dead
1: you heard it here first, folks. Ricky Weeks, kind of like cancer. <laughs> I didn't I, uh... think Anderson. Well,
2: one other tangential, non-cancerous reason, or fact I guess I wanted to bring up regarding Ricky Weeks Jr. Did we know that he has a brother that also played Major League Baseball? Uh, Jameel Weeks, right? Uh, Jamile, yeah, and he is a Baltimore Orioles legend
1: god damn right Uh, how can i say no to the weeks family now
8: i'm I'm, I'm guessing he's one of those one of those guys james that you convinced yourself like a sicko was gonna like really turn it around when he got to let me tell
1: you how good i thought melvin mora was for years and Melvin Mora's is not bad but like i would have sworn to you for a decade, Melvin Moore was the greatest third baseman in baseball. Yeah, I mean,
8: we have a, a similar uh, sort of brain sickness that was caused in us by Felix P.A., hit, right?
1: I'm sorry, you mean hit for the cycle once, <laughs> Orioles legend P.A.?
8: <laughs> yeah, the guy that I was convinced was going to be the Cubs center fielder of the future for like 15 years.
3: <laughs> can, can I read Jamal Weeks's one-sentence Wikipedia page entry under the Baltimore Orioles section? Oh Play yeah,
8: long. that sounds
3: good. <laughs> on December 2nd, 2013, Weeks and a player to be named later were traded to the Baltimore Orioles for pitcher Jim Johnson. The player to be named no later fucking was fucking
1: way. This is a trade for Jim Johnson. Okay, sorry, please keep going. The player to be named
3: later was identified as David Freitas on December 12th. Uh-huh. And, and that's it. That's and yeah. It, and then it skips to the Red Sox section. It says the Orioles traded Weeks and Yvonne DeJesus Jr. to the Boston Red Sox for Michael Almanzar and Kelly Johnson. So we got
1: Kelly Johnson. Okay. Those are like two trades that immediately stand out. Wait,
8: David mm. Frytoss is like, that's just like a ghost of a name to me. Like I have, I remember that name and do not remember anything about the guy. Now that's a name I've and not I- heard. long <laughs> time.
2: And to give Jamal Weeks's career slash line for the Orioles. 273 average with a 273 OBP. 455 slugging for a 727 OPS solid across three games. <laughs> three hits. One of them was a triple.
1: Wow. What could have been if only we had the confidence in him, but you know what? I have some confidence. I think in Ricky weeks, it sounds like we all do unless there's any further descent Diaz. I think we've got one more name here to ring on in.
2: Absolutely. And it's funny because every time that I heard this name growing up, my first thought was, huh, that kind of sounds like WikiLeaks. <laughs> and, sure. And that is a thought that I had, but I think those kind of just random brain associations that we have is really what is, what is at the core of what a guy is. And when we look back on Ricky Weeks Jr., what we actually have is a career that lasted nearly a decade and a half, one of the most decorated ball players in the history of HBCUs. A one-time All-Star, but I think most importantly now, a one-time inductee into the Hall of Guy. Ricky Weeks Jr., welcome to our illustrious Hall of Guy.
1: That is yep. what I am talking about! You only need the one with us. We, we don't do a recurring thing. There's no hidden <laughs> subscription fee here. We're not going to charge you like the Hollywood Walk of Fame.
2: When you and your family, we're
8: like, we're the like Olive Garden. That. I think you guys—you <laughs> guys—are maybe giving up a, a, a very valuable revenue stream by not.
1: <laughs> no, Diaz hit it right on the head. We are exactly like Olive Garden.
2: <laughs> All inductees are welcome to free breadsticks.
1: Unlimited soup, salad, Unlimited and free- breadsticks. We we are not shorting them here on any front.
8: Is that still an offer? Do they still do that?
1: They can't possibly still be in business if they do that. I have to imagine it's gone now. There's no way you stay profitable doing that.
2: Maybe it's like the Costco thing, where it's just like some like deranged Italian man was like, "If well, you charge more money for the fucking breadsticks,
1: I'm on. I will burn this company."
3: I'm on the Olive Garden website right now. Okay, and it says, "Never-ending super salad and breadsticks. Enjoy never-ending servings of our famous breadsticks, garden fresh bread salad, and homemade soup." made fresh daily at a price you'll love. Asterisk, never-ending refills of soup some breadsticks available dine-in only. which okay. makes sense That's still so pretty out. good!
8: God, Dude, if you could get, get, get that delivered to dinner? you... If you could get that oh. delivered to you endlessly, <laughs> like you just have some Keep guy... you bringing me breadsticks. <laughs> you just have some uber guy as your, like, breadstick slave <laughs> instead of bringing breadsticks <laughs> in perpetuity.
3: The soups they have are zuppa Toscana, Pasta Fajul, Chicken gnocchi and minestrone. And I will say that I've had that gnocchi in the past, like, two years. when I, I went to Olive Garden, like, two years ago,
8: and it was actually pretty good. Somebody somebody went home, and that was the only restaurant around, huh? I remember when Olive Garden opened in my hometown, and uh, it was... You had to wait like an hour and a half to get into the motherfucker. It was it was wild. That that was Applebee's for us. We were like, oh shit, we have a restaurant. now. <laughs> yeah, like we have a we have a sit down restaurant. I'm gonna sign
3: the RTG email up to get news and offers from Olive Garden. So we can always been the forefront of Olive
8: Garden news.
1: Go for it, baby. They'll all get redirected to my inbox. <laughs>
8: slowly choking james's email to death by signing
1: them up for <laughs> infinity chain restaurant offers speaking of restaurants andrew thank you so much for serving up on a platter this excellent discussion of ricky weeks among other topics uh, it has been great to have you on it has been great to have you in our rtg affiliated league hopefully you will get a chance here to defend your title it does look like it's rough in your first week oh man card, i'm
8: not but... the injuries are stacking up Uh, had a really, really piss poor time for me. It's not, it's not going good.
1: Andrew Abbott, the real victim of the Shohei Otani issues.
8: Yes, I'm the real victim of those. I'm the real victim of the Julio Urias uh, fucking domestic Mm -hmm. violence arrest. It's me. I'm the, I'm the one who's been harmed.
1: Well, we hope you haven't felt too harmed by our oversight. It was wonderful to have you on here to discuss it. And thank you. As always, just for being a bud of the show. Of course. Happy to do it. Well, there you have it, folks. The half dozen venerated members of our veterans, Guy Mitty, have made their thoughts known, their voices heard and corrected some mistakes that needed correcting. We are so grateful for their help. And Diaz, to to truly let us bask in the light that has been shown upon our eyes. Now the scales have been lifted and we have seen where we went astray before. Let's celebrate these guys one last time.
2: Absolutely. I think with any truly great system... There needs to be checks and balances. There can be no absolute authority. And there must be the ability to admit when you're wrong, or as you've put it several times throughout this episode, James, when you fucked up. It's important to acknowledge that, and it's important to be held accountable. So we thank all of the great guests that were able to join us to form our Veterans Guide Mitty and to ensure that Buddy Ryan, Juan Pablo Montoya, R.A. Dickey, jeremy giambi patrick Manley, and ricky weeks jr all receive their proper recognition within this hall of guy we got it wrong once we got it wrong twice but for these lucky six the third time's the charm they are entitled to unlimited soup salad and breadsticks at the rtg dining hall for as long as this illustrious hall shall exist
1: The dining hall is just essentially an olive garden that we have now built into the basement.
2: When you're here, you're guy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, When you're here, you're guy. And I mean, that is the attitude that we wanted to present to our lovely guests. One more thanks to our... Long-time listener, fourth-time caller, Kevin McFall. Our disgraced NBC anchor, Brian Deli williams Our current guy champion and IT expert, Brooks Rudy. Our musical director, Don Ham. Thank you to him as well for the lovely theme music. Our Mass and Mascus and Dundalk affiliate, Joel Miller. And, of course, our middle infielder enthusiast, Andrew Abbott, uh, Cincinnati rookie. I should mention, of course, what a great season he's having, truly great to have him here on the show it isn't the same guy but they were all wonderful guys to have here with us and it has been wonderful as well to have you dear listener with us uh also I uh, i can't believe i almost forgot shout outs to producer craig and all the coders behind him but that is everything i think that i have uh if you enjoyed this if you want to Join all the rest of these listeners and friends of ours. You can always find all the information about the Discord and everything else that we have at bit.ly slash. Remember that guy, all one word, all lowercase. Anything else? Did we thank musical director Don Ham? He got double thanks there in the the geeks. There were
3: so many, I I thought I may have missed it.
2: We are nothing without our musical director. He really makes sure that we bust down those union demands anytime that they come up.
1: And just like the unions that are hopefully not going to be busted, we will return again in the future. But until then, I've been James. I've been the very special guest, Xavier.
4: Yeah, I've been longtime listener, now fourth time caller, Kevin.
5: I am Brian Williams, oldest Arsenal supporter, correspondent. I've
6: been current guy, Alien Air, and IT consultant for, remember that guy, Brooks Rudy.
0: I've been Don Ham.
8: I've been Dundalk affiliate, Joel Miller. I've been Andrew Abbott, middle infielder defender.
2: And I'm Diaz. And as Colonel Jessup once said before his military guy, you you can't handle the guy.
1: Craig is great. I love Craig so very, very much. Um, yeah, okay. it's just that it has absolutely, all it does is uh, it messages me the link to then download the audio tracks. Like Craig has no, not even like personality, really. Like the only things that he says is now recording. Like those, those two words, that's Craig. That's the entirety of Craig that exists. And honestly, I don't think Craig's voice gets picked up. Like I don't think it's possible to get audio of Craig saved by Craig. Okay. That's funny.
2: Can you invite in a second Craig? Is it like Craig 2.0? There
1: is, so there is there is another bot named Geark, which you may notice if you write it out is just Craig backwards, because sometimes Craig has to go into maintenance mode. And so everyone has access to Geark as well, so that they can use Geark if Craig is in maintenance mode. Uh, and some people just stick with Geark entirely. But me personally, <laughs> I don't like necessarily saying the word giark a whole lot out loud.